It is one of the things that consistently surprises me when it really shouldn't, is how God manages to knit together the different component parts of what we do. We chose that song before we knew anything that Dave was going to say. When we chose the readings last week, we didn't know what Margaret was going to say. And yet, somehow, it all comes together, and we love it when God does that. Now, I'm going to do the Bible reading uh, this morning. Um, Andy was going to be with us, but he's not feeling very well this morning. So if you're watching online, Andy, we hope you feel better soon. Uh, But our Old Testament reading is from Psalm 25. In you, Lord my God, I put my trust. I trust in you. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. No one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame, but shame will come on those who are treacherous without cause. Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are God, my saviour, and my hope is in you all day long. And our New Testament reading comes from Luke's Gospel. We're going to be reading from Luke chapter 8, beginning at verse 4. So Luke 8, beginning at verse 4. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground, and when it came, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plant. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, yielded a crop, a hundred times more than was sown. And when he'd said this, he called out, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. He said, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to others I speak in parables so that though seeing they may not see, and though hearing they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, fall away. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they're choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart, who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. And so, loving God, in these moments, may the words of my mouth and the reflections of our hearts and minds together in this moment be found pleasing in your sight. O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I wonder if Jesus was telling this story now, if he might introduce a few more categories for what happens to the seed and the soil. Perhaps the seeds that were planted in a good soil but were affected by the sewage following flash flooding. Perhaps it would be about the plants that are coming up nicely but were bulldozed by occupying forces to make space for a new road. You may be able to think of others. It's a parable that enables us to develop many different lines of thought. I read four different um, books uh, 
to, as part of my preparation for this morning, on this parable, all of them saying completely different things about this parable. Not contradictory things, but just taking this in so many different directions, which I think is particularly surprising, given that it's one of the only parables in the whole of the New Testament where Jesus actually gives us a bit of a clue what it's about. But nevertheless, at some point, we'll do a whole series exploring all the different interpretations of Luke 8. But I just want to reflect for a few moments on a couple of things this morning. One of those interpretations and understandings was about how Jesus uses the land and the soil and the agricultural environment to tell us something exceptionally important. And he speaks partly about the rocky ground and the soil that isn't ideal because what was happening at the time was wealthy landowners were buying up all the plots of land so that the peasant farmers, everyone used to have enough to grow their own for their family, but increasingly they were forced to the margins and to the ground that wasn't so good. And crumbs we could get a whole morning about talking about the economic systems in our world and how the poor are forced to the margins and to deal with less and less. But that's not what I want to talk to you about this morning. Because, of course, what Jesus was doing was not commenting on farming problems. This is not about gardener's world. But instead, part of what Jesus is talking about here is explaining to each of us and those who are listening to him in that moment the strange ways in which the kingdom of God was arriving in their presence. Many of the hearers were expecting something big and obvious to happen. They were expecting something spectacular to overthrow the world order that existed at the time, to overthrow Herod. Or that there might be a new and legitimate priest who would oust the present high priest and finally understand what was going on. In particular, there would be a Jewish movement that would get rid of the hated Romans who ruled their land. None of this was happening as they listened to Jesus that day. Certainly not in the way that they thought it should happen. And so Jesus is keen at this point and at so many other points to open their eyes and their ears to see and hear what God is actually doing. Now by this point in Luke's Gospel, we've already been told a lot about Jesus' public ministry We've been able to get a sense of who Jesus is and what he's about. We're given the villagers at the synagogue in Nazareth hearing Jesus' sermon on Isaiah, but unwilling to accept what he's saying. That's actually our text at evening prayers and communion tonight. And the birds of the air are snatching those words from Luke chapter 4 away. And here in Luke's Gospel, we're given the Pharisee at the table. He's invited Jesus to share a meal with him and obviously, on some level, wants to give Jesus a hearing. But what Jesus does and says is so unexpected and so shocking that he tries to distance himself from it as far as he can. The seed has landed amongst the stones of his prejudice. And nothing can get near it to nurture it or help it to grow. And here in Luke's Gospel, as we read in Luke 7, the people of this generation who have other things on their minds and don't want to hear from a prophet like John or Jesus, 
The seed has landed among thorns and is being choked. But instead, in Luke's gospel, we're given a centurion, a Gentile, non-Jewish centurion, who believes that Jesus has the authority to command illness to depart. We have Levi, the tax collector, leaving his shady business to follow Jesus. We have the unnamed woman whose behavior is so extravagant that as she experiences God's forgiveness, this new life becomes deep in her heart. And there are many, many more already just in these first few weeks of Jesus' kingdom project who show us that the word that he is speaking is producing fruit. Things are changing. People's lives are being changed. But what it does not do is look exactly like everyone was expecting it to. Here, indeed, we find the 12 disciples. And though Luke doesn't highlight their weaknesses quite as relentlessly as Mark does, we're still presented with a group of people in his gospel that show them as muddled, puzzled, needing often enough help to understand. The plants are growing up, but they're not mature enough yet. And then here too, in verses just before our reading from the New Testament this morning, we meet Mary Magdalene, and Joanna, and Susanna. And we're told also many others. Women who are not mentioned in the other Gospels till much later, until the crucifixion. And they lend a hand to bury Jesus, and are then the first at the tomb. They've heard the word, we're told, and they've been healed by it. And Luke implies in what he says that they've all been healed in some way, not just Mary Magdalene. And these women have done something unthinkable. They have left the well-defined social space that constrained them purely to home and family without their own choosing, where they had a role and duty, and instead they had chosen to accompany Jesus and his followers on the road from place to place, and more than that, they are looking after their needs and providing for them out of their own pockets. And we've reflected before one of the great ironies of Scripture is that one of these women was married to someone significant in Herod's court. So the irony is that King Herod is paying somebody handsomely and their wife is then using that money to sustain the ministry of Jesus. I love that. So easy to miss how wonderful that is. But this was every bit as shocking from a first century Palestinian point of view as the story of the woman letting her hair down and kissing Jesus' feet. One can only imagine the looks that they would have got, the murmurs that would have gone round, the things that people would have said about the company they were keeping. But one can perhaps also imagine Jesus, thinking of them not as the least of people in whose hearts and lives the word has had its effect, but instead all these people gathering around him as being people in whose life his ministry was already bearing fruit putting life and reputation and property at the disposal of the kingdom of God. If nothing else, friends, this parable is an invitation for all of us to look out, to look out 
of the world around us? What sort of soil is the seed being sown in today? The challenge is to us, what can we do to plough up the rough ground, to remove the stones, to weed out the thorns? And what can we do to sow the seed more successfully? We're going to be thinking more about that in the autumn. Of course, the answers will vary from time to time and place to place. But that is part of our role as followers of Jesus Christ, to plough the ground that needs ploughing, to make the world around us as fertile a place as it can be for the good news that Jesus is with us. That's part of our job, to be prophets. But perhaps an even bigger invitation is in this parable for us too. Lest we take it as a license to sit comfortably in our chairs looking at where we think other people's soil should be better. First and most importantly, we ask ourselves how much growth in us and in our faith, how much fruit the work and word of Jesus is producing in our own lives. The temptation is to bemoan and to be down on the soil that we see around us. And friends, if we're honest, we know that some of that is transference and is deflection and is avoidance, sometimes even arrogance. Because it avoids us having to ask the question, what soil am I for the word of God in my life in this moment? For any of you who understand gardening better than me, which doesn't take much, will tell you, it doesn't always stay the same. And so for each of us in this moment, the challenge is what can we do to ensure that we are the most fertile soil that we can be for what Jesus is able to do in us. For if we have eyes to see and ears to hear, we must learn to see and hear too. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that as we gather together to worship you this morning, we've been able to reflect on and celebrate how you are the author of all creation. And yet, Lord, we thank you that that work of growing new life is not yet finished. Lord, we pray that you would come and continue to grow in us lives of faith that are shot through with your love and your hope, and your joy. Lord, would you help us to be open and willing to be led by you, and challenged by you, and encouraged by you. Lord, may we be fertile ground for the work of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, as part of that, would you help us to be partners with you in creating fertile ground around us. May our homes and our workplaces and our third spaces, Lord, be places of hope and comfort and joy and truth and wisdom because we are able to take something of you with us there. Lord, well, there are things that need plowing up 
and changing and challenging, would you help us to be part of that prophetic voice? And where there are things that need soothing and calming and loving, where it is peace and refuge that is needed, may we be able to bring something of that too. Lord, continue to grow us, we pray.